This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing leg day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show. Hi, Fred. My name is Josh Shell, host of the Let's Start a Cult podcast, who took a few weeks off to talk to God. It was either that or my medication has worn off and I need to go see my therapist. Now, with that bleak look on what some people call talking to God out of the way, I'd like to announce uh, this will be the last episode of 2021. So thank you to everyone that has become a subscriber over the past year. And if you're listening in 2022, please let me know if my apocalyptic predictions came true. But seriously, thank you to all my listeners. You're all welcomed into the inner circle. I will be returning on January 4th, 2022. So mark that on your calendars. And to kick off the new year, we're going to be doing back-to-back weeks of content. This is because I'm doing a multi-part series on Scientology, baby. (laughs) So you will be receiving Scientology episodes January 4th, 11th, and potentially the 18th. I'm unsure of how many episodes it will end up being. But either way, there will be an episode on the 18th as well. After that, it will be back to my every two weeks. But I didn't want to make you wait a month and a half for all the Scientology episodes to come out. So with all that housekeeping out of the way for 2021 and 2022, it's time to get to my guest that I've been making wait through this entire intro. (laughs) He is from the amazing podcast, Canadian Spirit Podcast, the podcast that dives into supernatural, paranormal and the downright weird cases in Canada. If you're into weird and spooky, this podcast is for you. Please welcome Kelly McMillan. How are you doing today? Not too bad, Josh. How about yourself? I'm, I'm very glad that you let me out of the compound's basement and the, the spider pits <laughs> to join you this evening. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, it's your, it's your weekly hour of being let out and... I put you to work right away. So I, I always appreciate that because, you know, it's dark down there and, and the spiders, so many spiders. Yeah, yeah. If you complain less, maybe I'll give you a candle so that you can light it down there a bit. But Duly noted. <laughs> so uh, for Canadian Spirit Podcast, you guys, I believe you just started season two, correct? Yeah, you betcha. We just launched uh, season two there with a general topic and a new game that we started playing called Survive the Supernatural. It's where Darcy and I, we try to throw supernatural creatures at one another and see whether or not we can survive the the encounters. So. Ooh, that's really cool. Do you have any teases for uh, topics coming up in the new season? Are you guys keeping that hush hush? Uh, I can reveal a little bit here. Like for the for sure. the new general topics episodes, we're going to be talking a little bit about shadow people, Mothman, things from Ooh. outside of Canadian borders, just to keep things a little bit fresh and interesting. And as for Canadian topics, we're going to be Delving into things like the Keg Mansion hauntings and a little less UFO episodes this time around, but because those things 
oh man, those are hard to research. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet with so many claims, it's hard to sift through what's real and what's not. But those sound very exciting. It's actually funny that you mentioned leaving Canada because I'm actually going to be taking you on a trip outside of the country today on this episode. Nice. Because in today's episode of the Let's Start a Cult, we will be talking about the story of the Hermes Far Eastern Shining, an Australian New Age group founded in the late 90s by a man who calls himself Jessa Oh My Heart. Despite his death, multiple government warnings, and court-imposed ban, the cult remains active, continuing to encourage people to spend thousands of dollars on artifacts that they claim can cure all kinds of disease and bring them to enlightenment. Hmm. So, Kelly, have you heard of this cult? I haven't, and I've actually been a a bit of a connoisseur of cults throughout my life, but uh, this one is a new one on me. I've never heard of these guys before. See, I figured you you would be a cult connoisseur based on our conversations, so I wanted to try and choose a one that I didn't think you'd have heard of, so I'm excited to bring this one to you. Mm-hmm. So, jumping into the story today, the man that our story actually revolves around was named Gerald or Gerald Hart Attrill. Now, little is known about his early childhood. However, he was reportedly born sometime in the 1940s in Hobart, which is the capital of Australia's island state of Tasmania. He took up a psychology degree at the University of Tasmania and graduated in 1968. After earning his diploma, Atril moved to the mainland in search of better opportunities. He spent the next few years working as a clinical psychologist in his crisis center in Sydney, a role that he found fulfilling yet highly stressful. While he loved his job, he hated the city's fast-paced nature and decided to relocate to two. Toowoomba, a city in southern Queensland. There he found work as a lecturer in the College of Advanced Education. It's so he's very he's a very well educated man. Yeah, I was just gonna say this is kind of a little bit unusual because a lot of cult leaders they're not highly educated. Not usually, yeah. They usually have well, I guess this could go either way. Usually they're either outcasts or they are, I find smarter than your average person. And I guess the difference is you're either very charismatic or you know how to manipulate people. I guess that's the two avenues you can go to become a cult leader. I'm I'm coming to believe anyway. Yeah, you definitely need either charisma or just uh, some kind of air superiority about you to get people to follow (laughs) you. So yeah, and a clinical psychologist degree would would definitely help as well. So it would also help with the manipulation of people too. Exactly. You know how to hack their brains and and find out what they want. So we're already setting the bar fairly high for what this cult is uh, capable of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's around this time that Atril met a woman named Drew Porter, who was 11 years younger than him. And I don't know, Like I'm assuming legal, but (laughs) I'm not 100% because I don't know his ages at this point. You you said that it was Rue Porter, and for a second there, I thought you were going to say Rue Paul, and I'm like, wow, this got really interesting (laughs) really fast. (laughs) It's actually Drew, so I I mispronounced (laughs) that. My bad. Okay. But that would would make this insanely more interesting than it already is. (laughs) Should have told him to shantay away, or sashay away, (laughs) that's the word. Exactly. Despite their massive age gap, the two fell deeply in love and decided to move together to Byron Bay, which is a coastal town located in New South Wales. Famous for its beautiful beaches and countless diving spots, many regard it as one of the top tourist destinations in Australia, drawing hundreds of thousands of people each year. Unable to find work related to psychology, Atril launched several businesses with Porter. 
including a health food shop and a cafe that had an adjacent bookstore. It was the latter that first exposed him to the New Age movement, which, at the time, was quickly spreading across the United States. In particular, he became fascinated with an American spiritual guru named Adi Da Samraj, who founded a new religious movement called Adidam. Adidam. We'll go with that. <laughs> kind of sounds like a kind of sounds like that one Beatles song. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I didn't even think of that. Adadim, adadam. Maybe that's where he came, based it off of. I Could very no well be. Be so, around that time, right? Yeah, because I mean, like they did from well from the lore of that song. I guess they did get that uh, phrase from like a spiritual guru over in India. Ooh, so. It could easily be this guy then, or or someone who is somehow related to this guy. Maybe I don't know exactly, but Maybe. that's interesting. I, I should have dove into that more. I didn't make that <laughs> connection. So Adida Samraj instilled in his followers the belief that he was a divine person in human form. His philosophies borrowed heavenly from Eastern religions with his written work mentioning concepts like karma and reincarnation. He also frequently changed his name, claiming that his identity reflected whatever his message he was trying to convey to his followers. For instance, he took to calling himself Bubba Free John in early 1970s. Oh boy, what a name. That, that's exactly the kind of name that you want for your savior. It's like, oh, look at your good old Bubba John. I'm going to save your soul today. Wow. Oh my God. It is just... It's almost like a fever dream. <laughs> it's just ridiculous that he went by this. And he said it was referencing a nickname that meant friend, which I don't I don't know if Bubba means friend, but I mean, like I know certain people call each other Bub in a in a friendly and endearing way. But yeah, it's weird that true. he went Bubba. straight to Bubba. Bubba Free John. He added that to it. <laughs> so that's that's also Ukrainian for grandmother. So we're getting a oh. lot of mixed messages here. Yeah, it's very confusing. And actually, a few years later, he actually changed his name to just Da Free John, and then quickly followed by Da Love Ananda, Da Lulama, and Sanatosha Da, just to name a few of those nicknames that he chose. So he did end up getting rid of Bubba. Maybe enough people mocked him about it, <laughs> and he <laughs> dropped that part. But uh, yeah, he, he changed his name a lot. Adida Samraj preached many things, but what fascinated Atril the most was his belief that human beings were capable of reaching a divine state. He and Porter became so enamored with this philosophy that they moved to Melbourne, where they joined a community of addendum... Adid, I, I'm going to butcher that word every time. <laughs> Adidum devotees called the Laughing Man Institute. They participated in lectures and workshops, even attending retreats that taught them more about spiritual enlightenment, which... If I was going to the Laughing Man Institute, I would assume it's like a stand-up comedy pub or something. You know what I mean? Either that or this cult is run by the goddamn Joker. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it, what it could be, too. And the nicknames this guy gives himself, he could be the Joker, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just always changing his name, probably for legal purposes. Oh, well, that's actually, yeah, you're probably not, not far off of it. Trying to evade the Batman. <laughs> All of these drove Attil to try to find in himself the same divine energy that he felt Adida Samraj possessed. Atril and Porter both enjoyed the camaraderie that they felt with their fellow devotees. However, in 1984, they decided to leave the Laughing Man Institute, hoping to establish their own organization. So, they moved back to Byron Bay before settling in a rural village called Tilgum in New South Wales. 
To support themselves, the couple opened a store where they sold products related to the New Age movement. And this is where it starts getting uh, real shitty. Despite his fascination with Adida Samraj and his philosophies, Atril believed that there was more to spiritual enlightenment. In Teal Gum, he began to self-study alchemy, an ancient science that combined chemistry and speculative philosophy, whose proponent sought to figure out ways to transform base metals into gold. Huh. They also <laughs> they also dedicated themselves to finding a universal elixir that could cure all kinds of diseases. The Philosopher's Stone. Exactly. It yeah. is, it, as an aside here, it's so weird that you brought this cult up because I've been studying alchemy here for the last couple of weeks. Oh, interesting. So you, you'll have a good knowledge on this then. Well, I guess a rudimentary knowledge. I'm only a well, little bit into it. It's it's an extensive historical lore, and yeah, th- there's a lot to it. We'll say that much. That's for sure. Yeah, and this is kind of where he starts to, I believe, start grifting. I don't believe he fully believes in everything he's he's pushing, but we'll get into that. Probably not. It kind of depends too on what form of alchemy he's following, because there's both. Uh, physical alchemy, which is, like you said, changing base metals into gold. And there's also a type of spiritual alchemy that came from the from Eurasia and places like that that focuses more on the spiritual. So, Actually, I get right into this in the next part. He he does actually focus on, on both, which is uh, why I don't believe he, he's uh, fully invested. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think he's selling something he doesn't believe in. But we'll, we'll get into that. So he, he is starting to look for basically the potion of elixir to live forever. During his studies, Atril came across Hermes Trimagesta, a mythical figure from the Hellenistic period who wrote about the Hermetica, a series of texts wherein explaining a philosophical system that has come to be known as Hermeticism. It combined both the spiritual and material worlds, a concept that appealed to both Atril and Porter. The ancient world believed that Hermes Trimagesta was a figure derived from the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth, or Thoth. Many worshipped him, including scholars and philosophers in the Middle Ages. Among his followers was Geralt Hart Atril, who, inspired by Hermetica, reinvented himself as an alchemist named Jessa Oh My Heart. Um, not sure why that was the name he landed on, but... <laughs> Again, kind of sounds like a Beatles song. That's true, yeah. Maybe this guy was just ahead of his time and, and should have been a songwriter <laughs> instead. Yeah, maybe. Because when did this all take place again? Around the 70s, 80s, I believe. I think I said 80s, so this is in the 80s now. Okay, so yeah, plenty of time to co-opt one of the most popular bands on, on the face of the earth. And Absolutely. I mean, yeah. this is just my hypothesis, but it just... <laughs> It, yeah, it smacks of the Beatles. I don't know if that's because they were also influenced by like Eastern spiritualities and things like that, but I don't know, just weird connections my brain is making right now. No, no, for sure. And they're good connections. It's just, it's a question of chicken or the egg, right? Mm. Uh, which came first? Is he inspired by the Beatles songs? Is he inspired by these beliefs that he's engulfing himself in? I, I tend to think it's probably more of the, the spiritual stuff rather than the Beatles. Uh, but then again, they were so all-encompassing that it could have actually inflicted on him to come up with some of these names. Possibly. So, much like the ancient alchemists who came before him, Atril sought to create precious objects from simple matter and hoped to discover the universal elixir. Before long, he began claiming that he could turn either water, glass, or wood into powerful totems that could remove negative energy and heal all kinds of diseases, including HIV. Oh! Uh, (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah, not not a great guy cuz cuz at this time in the 80s uh yeah, was, late 80s early 90s it's it's a big problem, you know. It's the height of the <laughs> HIV epidemic. Yeah, so preying on those kind of people is not not a good thing cuz it definitely didn't cure them. If they believed him, it would just reinstill this belief that they were cured and then they would probably pass it on to someone else. Yeah, well, really, I mean, we see the same thing playing out in today's society with people taking colloidal silver to cure themselves of COVID. So this is yeah. not a new grift. No, and I don't see it going away anytime soon, which is sad. Sadly, no. <laughs> but Sadly, no. It's the snake oil salesman from far back as we can go. Yes, but the uh, tale as old as time. Exactly. So referring to these as artifacts, he also said that they would help enlighten whoever was using them allowing them to reach a higher divine state. Sometime in the late 90s, Atril and Porter founded a company called Infinity Forms of Yellow Remember, which sold a wide variety of artifacts, including jewelry, sculptures, and even wands. They also developed a line of what they claimed were, quote, powerful potions, although they were later to found out to have been nothing more than distilled water. <laughs> oh, boy. So th this is like holistics all over again. Exactly. Yeah. And then this is where I think they're grifting, right? Because they, they cannot believe that they're actually selling potions if it's just water. Oh boy. At least if there was some sort of mixture of different things, I would be like, okay, well, maybe they were just delusional and kept trying things and claimed it was potions, you know, but this they're just poured in some water and sold it. <laughs> yeah, because it also could come from a complete misunderstanding of alchemical texts as well, because the Philosopher's Stone was said to be golden water. And alchemists back in the medieval period would actually put gold dust into water to see if that would make them live forever. Of course, it did not. It gave them heavy metal poisoning, which did the exact opposite of what it was supposed to do. But I'm just what are you going to do? <laughs> Let's just drink some gold. That'll that'll fix us. And then we have colloidal uh, silver again. And uh, we're we're it's just a circle. His histories of is it just a circle? And time is a flat we never circle. learn from anything. Yeah. The other the other joke that I wrote in here was that they're just jumping on the Dasani grift, which I thought was funny. That was, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing, too, entirely. Yeah, they charge $4 for a bottle of water, $5 sometimes. Ahead of their time. Uh, just ahead of their time. That's all they were. They uh, should have just started a water company. <laughs> One of their most well-known products was the Sacred Body of Man Bubblers, which is just a great name. These That, that sounds naming. like something vaguely sexual. <laughs> it does, actually, now that you say it. These were a series of medium-sized glass orbs filled with a mysterious liquid that came in several different varieties. For instance, the Saturn bubbler, as it is described as, quote, each glass sphere holds specific energies which combine to radiate a blessing force across an entire state or small country in which the Saturn bubbler is placed. Each state or country has its own particular karma, just like people a history that has shaped the nature of that place. In response to this, additional energies are added to each Saturn bubbler to address the particularities of its location, end quote. So they're selling them as basically, this will cure an entire state of its karma, <laughs> which wow. is problematic in its own right. Just someone in uh, like Louisiana putting it down saying, well, slavery didn't happen. So <laughs> like, it's just... It's just a wild claim. And that's how the know. Far Eastern Shining solved crime. <laughs> the end. Yeah, they cured all history. That's, that's what I learned today. 
Not only is that absurd, but the absurdity is the price. So each bubbler sold for 12,500 Australian dollars. And I, I converted that to Canadian dollars just for you, Kelly. We're all Canadians today, so why not? Yay. So it comes out to $11,409 Canadian. Good God. So quite, quite a bit. Well, I mean, can you really put a price on solving all of the country's karma issues? I mean, come on now. $11,000, that's nothing. Yeah, I mean, it is just unbelievable what a claim that is and that people actually bought into it. Oh, boy. This I, I don't remember seeing in any kind of alchemical text. So, yeah, this is this is new territory. Yeah, he's he's branching out, you know. he's He's got confidence now and he's going into new levels of absurdity <laughs> yeah that is not it however so another one of his artifacts that Atril developed was a disc which their official website claims quote holds an intention to transfer particular habitual patterns desires or karma that keep us locked into negative ways of thinking and acting receiving these energies may help to dissolve aspects within us that are blocked freeing up the flow of life current within our being and allowing an awakening to greater and renewed responses to life and each other, end quote. If you can't quit smoking or something, then get one of these and it will allow you the ability to do so. The only way that I can figure a metal disc would change your uh, negative behaviors is if you took it and beat yourself over the head with it until you knock some senses <laughs> into yourself. <laughs> You're like, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> or just hit your, it's like a rubber band thing when you flick it. Uh, if you do something like your habits or something, you just hit yourself with it, maybe. <laughs> no, uh, bad, Klong. Bad. <laughs> so as outlandish as these claims are, many believe them. And throughout the 90s, Atril garnered hundreds, if not thousands of followers. He encouraged them to regard him as the divine incarnate, a spiritual leader related to Jesus Christ. Oh, whose teachings. Yep. <laughs> Whose teachings and artifacts could lead them to a higher state of being. Thanks to his increasing follower base, Atril was able to open several storefronts across Queensland, Australia, including in his former hometown of Byron Bay. These became so popular that even those who didn't follow the New Age movement began purchasing his artifacts, wholeheartedly believing that they could get rid of negative energies and physical diseases. This is like the dream catchers. Yeah. Kind of like a Kind of like a dreamcatcher phenomenon where enough people are like getting them that people just buy them believing it'll keep bad dreams away or in this case, a cure continence <laughs> or whatever he claimed. I forget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And just another thing to touch on here. Why is it that every single cult member equates themselves to being Jesus Christ? I mean, can we get some new material? Yeah, yeah there are other beings, you know, there's I guess he's the most well known, but there's like. Muhammad there isn't there and then there's like you know what think I, of the other ones you want to know what 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 uh, god that I would love to see or cult leader claiming to be a god what if a cult <laughs> leader just bear with me here but what if a cult leader claimed that he was Anubis <laughs> that sounds familiar I'm trying to think if the Mexican cult I covered was Anubis, or if I'm confusing that but that would be hilarious <laughs> I, I agree and I think it is so out there that you might garner some some attention. So yeah, it's just so, I think such strong iconography. It's just like the jackal-headed god. Come on, who doesn't want to follow him? Uh, well, maybe people who don't like furries, but th <laughs> that's a topic for another time. Yeah, but you'll get all the furries instantly, so there's 
couple hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many there are, but <laughs> there's probably quite a few. Raise up a fearsome army. Yeah, <laughs> of, of furries. And, and you can all dress up like Anubis and uh, take over <laughs> a, a state. You could easily take over a state with that many furries, I think. Definitely. Go for like North Dakota or something. <laughs> yeah, they deserve it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Kelly, do you know who will not try to sell you false artifacts to cure a state? Is it the products and services that support your podcast? It is the products and services that support my podcast. They yes. will sell you many other things, but, you know, hopefully not that. <laughs> if if I have started selling that on my podcast, then I am ashamed of who I've become. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> here are some ads. Please enjoy and we will be right back. We are back from that ad. Again, I hope it was not New Age propaganda ads, but... Or Amazon, because that could be just as bad. That's true, actually. In some cases, that that would be worse, I think. (laughs) True, true. So getting back to Trill and his slow descent into, what would you call it? Grifterdom? Is that a word? Yeah, grifterdom. Yeah, cultism. Okay. We'll go with that. Surprisingly enough, Atril counted among his followers intellectuals and well-educated people, many of whom believed in traditional science, yet were still convinced that his artifacts were incredibly powerful. One of them was Anne Fitzgerald, a young British airway flight attendant who met several of Atril's devotees while attending the Mind-Body-Spirit Festival in London in 2002. According to her, the devotees enthusiastically showered her with love and kindness. She remained in contact with them and two years later left her home, country of Ireland, to join the group in Australia. Atril rechristened her as... (laughs) Sorry, this name is wild. Atril rechristened her as Perplexity Swings This and That, which she claimed was her alchemy name. Okay. So not only is that not a name, it's just weird as a statement. (laughs) <laughs> it's almost as if they took like the naming scheme from Native Americans and then yeah. applied it to nonsense scientific principles. Yeah, because, and I don't know if you found this in your research, Kelly, he claimed it was her alchemy name. Have you ever heard of an alchemy name? No, I haven't. I mean, generally speaking with alchemists, there were certain pseudonyms that they would go by, especially after alchemy right. was banned as like witchcraft or sorcery, right? So they would take on pseudonyms, but not necessarily, there was no mention of alchemy names per se. Okay. So maybe he's rebranded it as that. Maybe it's like, a, this is your Christian name. This is your alchemy name, maybe. Maybe Possibly. he's kind of taking it that way. I, I'm not sure. In any case, this, this girl, Fitzgerald, spent the next eight years as perplexity swings this and that. <laughs> it also sounds like a, oh, never mind. I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it, it kind of sounds like somebody who's bisexual, but they're perplexed about their own existence. Ooh, interesting. Maybe, maybe. she was. I, I actually, I don't know. Obviously, I didn't research that, but maybe that did factor into it. I, I didn't even think of that. It's still a terrible name either way, but... Either that or it just sounds like a really bad pendulum. Yeah, yeah. Well, or a really good pendulum. You know, it swings... Oh, perplexity, though. It does... <laughs> thinks about swinging this in that way, but never does, maybe... So Fitzgerald, as we're going to call her, voluntarily worked as Atril's housekeeper and maintained the shop in Tillagum. Her shift often lasted 16 hours, but she never received a salary. So there's that link to Amazon that you made. That's great. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it tracks. 
In 2011, Fitzgerald came to her senses and asked help from a pair of shopkeepers named Ken McGrath and Anita Dilu. They drove her to the nearby hotel where she hid from Matril's followers until her family back in Ireland was able to send her money for plane tickets. Finally, in October of that year, she left Australia and Atril's group for good. She escaped, which was nice. Yeah, you, you do hear about that in other cults, too. It's always heartening to hear that somebody came to their senses and, you know, got the hell out. Exactly. And I don't know if they'd be violent towards her at this point. Like, it's hard to see, but you never know, right? Like, these cults do have a tendency for violence, so. Yeah, they, they have a tendency to be unpredictable in stressful situations as well. Especially if they start to think that followers are leaving, then they kind of go into a defense mode, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. So she made, managed to escape, which is nice. But Atril was not done recruiting, and he encouraged his followers to recruit university students, as well as people attending festivals. He also instructed them to go to hospitals where they could sell their artifacts to patients, many of whom were willing to believe that their terminal diseases could be cured by discs and glass spheres. That is just predatory. Yeah, that is. Like I said, he was full in on the HIV as well, so this doesn't shock me, though it is absolutely disgusting that he would do this. Yeah, because I mean, like, you're especially because they're targeting people who are at their most vulnerable. Exactly. People just trying to live out their days, you know, hoping science can help them or or whatever, and and just at their wits end and stressed out. And to take advantage of those kind of people is just, like I said, disgusting. Yeah, exactly. This guy is not akin to Jesus Christ <laughs> at all. Well, yeah, no, because, you, you know, you never really read in the Bible about Jesus uh, saying, take advantage of ye who is in, in, in mortal peril. Take advantage of thy neighbor, not... <laughs> yeah, so that's terrible. And while many supported Atril, he also garnered his fair share of critics. One of the most outspoken was Ron Christie, an alderman for the city of Hobart, came to know about the group after discovering that several nurses at the hospital in Tasmania were trying to sell artifacts to their patients. Christie filed complaints against Atril and in 2013 was cited as saying, quote, The use of these magic wants, waiters, and motifs have been happening within our hospital system for more than three years, and to my knowledge, this cult group has been operating in Tasmania since 1997, end quote. This is the first time they're actually out outed as kind of a cult, you know what I mean? Like, we haven't mentioned cult yet, as far as people calling them that, so it's starting to get called out now, and it's starting to he's starting to come under fire. Yeah, because up until this point, it sounds like they were just written off as kind of a kooky New Age movement. Yeah, which I I find a lot of them are until it's too late, you know what I mean? Like, it gets to the point where it's (laughs) there's a tipping point. Yeah, until delusions of grandeur enter the picture. Exactly, yeah, yeah. In 2002, Atril's company, the Infinite Forms of Yellow Remember, came under fire after government officials discovered that some of the artifacts it was selling consisted mainly of bottled distilled water, despite it being sold for 80 Australian dollars, marketed as having some kind of magical formula that could cure all kinds of disease. Dehydration, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it's curing dehydration and headaches. That's all it's doing for you. But he's charging more than Dasani, and Dasani was getting sick of it. (laughs) Nestle heard of his plans, and it's like, no, we got to shut this fucker down. They said only we can drain the water out of out of communities and sell it back to them for. There can be only one. <laughs> um, in fact, the official company website gave it the following description: "Quote: The water flows as a river of healing elixirs. 
To drink thereof is to be touched by the greatest of all balms, an end to the destiny of suffering and ultimate lifting to the blissful realm of immortal destiny. The river of life that is the waters are is sorry, this is just word jumble. <laughs> just gibberish. Yeah, the river of life that the waters are is articulated to dissolve the particular karmas of any and every suffering mortal, end quote. Hmm. So that is just some absolute marketing jargon if I've ever heard it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's one of those things, if you can't corner them with facts, then dazzle them with bullshit. That's the first sign. If you don't see the, if you don't see the facts and you just hear a bunch of bullshit, they're probably trying to sell you some bullshit. Probably. Yeah. Rather than healing elixirs, though, the government officials saw the artifacts as nothing but a fraud. This led the New South Wales Supreme Court imposing a ban on the infinity forms of the Yellow Remember and its operations. However, Atril and his followers already had a plan in mind. Not long after the court made its decision, Atril established the Hermes Far Eastern Shining to replace his former company. So this is, I know, usually like the, the cult name shows up in the first two pages. This one... Nearly at the end, he's fine. He's just pivoting, basically. That's why it's named this now. Well, I mean, the cult leader changed his name how many times? And yeah, uh, I think the same could be said for 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 his his following. It's it's just a it's a marketing ploy, you know. Like it's like how Facebook rebranded as Meta it's yeah. because they're shitholes, <laughs> you know. Uh, they're just uh, terrible people, so they had to rebrand. So I, that hopefully you would not believe how long I sat there thinking, okay, their name is Meta, right? Yeah. When is Metallica going to sue them? <laughs> this needs to happen. I hope soon. And I hope they take the company from Zuckerberg. But until then, we're just going to be living in a, a virtual reality world with no Metallica. Uh, that's that's a dystopian nightmare. Yes. The worst kind of future. So he rebranded to re replace his former company. And as the years passed, he expanded his business, creating an online store to sell artifacts and encouraging his followers to use social media to recruit people. So maybe he does work with Facebook. <laughs> the government's increasing awareness of his shady activities forced Atril to change his tactics. Rather than the bottled water that he was marketing as a universal elixir, he began selling coasters instead. Coasters? These, he claimed, yeah, yeah, so you'll, it, it is even wilder. So these, he claimed, were capable of infusing glasses of water with extraordinary powers, enabling the person drinking to gain enlightenment. True. Coasters. Coasters. So you put your glass of water on a coaster and instantly you've got, boom, fucking holy water or whatever he's claiming. <laughs> Which leads me to further question, wouldn't he be worried that people would just use the coasters and then claim and sell their water? Leading to a even worse, like just a pyramid scheme of, of people yeah, selling water to each other? <laughs> it kind of affects your profitability if you suddenly have the greatest of all elixirs just by using a coaster. Although it would keep guests from leaving water rings on your coffee table. That's true. At least this has a use, you know, it, you can use it and, and it, it does at least the bare minimum rather than the elixir of water. Oh boy. Um, despite the hefty price tag that these coasters carried, many believed Atril's claims and were willing to purchase them. According to former devotees, Atril was incredibly charismatic, which allowed him to easily manipulate people. However, he didn't just manipulate them into selling and buying his artifacts. He also forced members to leave their friends and family behind, claiming that removing themselves from traditional society was the only way to gain divine enlightenment. 
One member also recalled being coerced into having sex with him. Afterwards, he told her that she wasn't allowed to tell anybody else what they had done. Yeah, this is coming right out of Cult Leader Textbook 101. He's ticking all the boxes now. Yep, now he's a, you know, a manipulator and has coerced people into sex and leaving their families. That one, you know, is usually a given in a cult, leaving your Mm -hmm. families and friends, because then you have no support network and have no one else to believe but the people also believing the things you believe in. So it's just a a cycle. (laughs) Yeah, further isolating people so that they feel they can't leave. Exactly, yeah. So, terrible, but... uh, Atrill and his followers continued their recruitment efforts through the 2000s, gaining traction in the United States, where they reportedly became known as Earth Nucleus Wildfire. They sold only one type of artifact, a cream that they called Earth Rising Miracle Lotion. (laughs) Just a quick question here. Are they just using random word generators to create titles for themselves now? You know what? Uh, I thought that to myself when I was doing the research, and I said, <laughs> that, that is exactly what they're doing. <laughs> it has to be, because nothing is related in any way, shape, or form. None of it makes any sense, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, and and the amount of names they come up with. So they're Earth Nucleus Wildfire in the United States, which is just crazy. Not a good name for California. Yeah, I was going to say, Very as you being out west, you know about the wildfires, so I don't know if this would trigger memories, like good good feelings towards a group when you first hear it. But. So uh, there have been many calls for an investigative probes into the Hermes Far Eastern Shining Group. In fact, John Watkins, Australian Minister of Fair Trading and Sports in the early 2000s, even issued a warning to public saying that Atril's artifacts were, quote, a mean contract aimed at the most vulnerable people in our society. People with severe drug addictions, mental illnesses, or with potentially fatal diseases such as HIV or cancer, may be vulnerable to the promise of a cure through the use of these waters. This is a very old-fashioned rip-off. The old sideshow Spirik is selling the cure-all elixir, but it's dressed up in New Age language. Infinity is all about the almighty dollar, not the almighty. End quote. What a mic drop. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that, is, that is deeply profound in both... It's a deeply profound burn on these guys. Yeah. Just in that sentence, you know, infinity is infinity is about the almighty dollar, not the almighty. Mm. Like you could just say that and instantly derail their entire grift. <laughs> like it's just well well put together. So props to John Watkins for calling that out. However, Atril's followers have criticized such statements, claiming that freedom of religion meant that they could believe in whatever they wanted, regardless of how outlandish it seemed. The absence of grisly crimes doesn't make Hermes Far Eastern Shining any less of a cult. Atril manipulated his devotees into believing that he was a divine being akin to Jesus Christ. He encouraged them to spend thousands of dollars buying useless items that, according to him, were powerful enough to cure all kinds of diseases and could help them achieve enlightenment. Gerald Hart Atril died in December 2012, age 72. But unlike other cults, Hermes Far Eastern Shining wasn't dissolved upon his death. It continues to operate now with a robust digital following and a thriving online store where believers can buy all the bubblers and wands that they want. And that is the story of the Hermes Far East Shining cult. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Dark ending, as it usually is. Uh, so they are still operating and still ripping people off. <laughs> so. <sighs> Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, glad he's not in the picture anymore, but disappointed that he built such a 
powerful company that it couldn't be stopped after his death, which I mean, when all that money is involved, it's hard to stop, I guess, with capitalism feeling it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I just had this horrible mental image of them actually getting a hold of like an MLM structure oh, and yeah. just becoming unstoppable. And that's that's oh. deeply disturbing to me. God, yeah, that would be that would be the worst timeline. And don't I hope they don't listen to us and take any ideas. Oh God, <laughs> I hope not. We've given them quite a few, and I would feel terrible. <laughs> but yeah, don't don't buy any of their stuff if if you're listening. Yeah, they are grifters and just selling you bullshit. So don't do that. Before we finish up today, it's time for my favorite segment, cult critique. It's my only segment, but I call it my favorite, so it feels special. So Kelly, this is the part of the episode where you and I talk about the cult we just covered and and give it a rating out of five stars. There's no hard and fast rule about how we do the rating. You know, you can five star it for being good, one star it for being good, because being good in a cult scenario is kind of bad. So yeah, uh, it's whatever, whatever you feel. So um, Kelly, what would you give a rating to the Hermes Far Eastern Shining Cult? I I think I'm going to do this in the form of a Yelp review, if I could. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the Hermes Far Eastern Shining Cult, is that its name? There's so many words there. Hermes Far Eastern Shining Cult, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So these guys are kind of like the micro penis of cults, okay? They're functional, (laughs) but they're unfulfilling. Right. And I mean, there's some part of the human brain that is primarily drawn to it out of fascination, the same way that your mind is drawn to jamming your genitals into a garbage disposal. <laughs> I wouldn't I would not recommend either. So, I'm going to give this cult 1 star out of 5. That is a an excellent review. It might be the best I've ever had. <laughs> As a matter of fact, <laughs> that is a this is a great wrap up. I don't know how I'm going to top that. So, I'm just going to say, yeah, it it is a cult definitely. They recruit and they manipulate and they grift and make money off of it. So it is definitely a cult. However, it's not like a well-known cult, which mm-hmm. I think takes away from it. It's rebranding and renaming is annoying and uh, you know, the them grifting off of people dying is just terrible. So Absolutely. I'm going to give it a one star for that one. So Excellent. So we're in agreement. We are in agreement as we usually are. I don't usually have pro-cult people on my podcast, but maybe someday I will, just for fun. But that is the episode for today, so thank you everyone for listening. Kelly, can you please tell my audience about Canadian Spirit Podcast and where they can find you guys? Yeah, sure. Uh, Canadian Spirit is a podcast that's hosted by myself and Darcy. We're the two primary members of the Supernatural Paranormal Investigations and Research Institute. Basically, we've been doing uh, paranormal investigations together for about 10 years, and We take a look into all paranormal cases throughout Canada and now even beyond to figure out what kind of natural or man-made phenomenons might actually be behind some of the world's most famous and forgotten paranormal mysteries. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Awesome. Yeah, I I personally love their podcast. Uh, It's... I learned so much about Canada that I, like, I'm like, I, I didn't know this was, this was a thing. Like, I, I have no <laughs> idea to, to the um, spirit world or what, what would you call it? The uh, mythical world of Canada. It's just yeah. a mystery to me. So I, I do enjoy that. Quick question before, before I let you go. What is, what is your favorite episode that you've done so far? Uh, so far, I would probably, it's either the Lou Garou episode or... Ooh. 
so hard to pick. The Beaver Eater episode was also a good one, too, just for the name alone. <laughs> yeah, that is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely go check out uh, Canadian Spirit Podcast. They just started season two, so you can jump in and go into their catalog and then catch up and listen to all the new content that they're going to be doing. Sounds worldwide, which is exciting. I'm excited to hear about all the myths and spiritual stuff around the world. So definitely go check them out. And finally, if you want to support this show, you can do so by rating and reviewing and sharing the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. If you want to support the show financially, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash let's start a cult. And while I'm on break and you can't get enough of me, you can go hear me on my other podcast, Reddit on Wiki, every Mondays. We're not stopping throughout the holidays. We've already batch recorded. So go check that out if you want to keep up with what I'm doing. But yeah, thank you very much for an amazing 2021. It's been awesome. And I look forward to bringing more great content in 2022. So stay tuned. January 4th, we'll be back with Scientology, which I'm super excited for. Thank you, Fred, for listening. And thank you, Kelly, for coming on today. I will see you next time. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate, that's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show.